Hey, I'm still Jesse. <laughs> Let's have a devotion. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Dense passage, a famous one as well, and often, often taught in divorce from what immediately preceded it, the rebuke of Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus had just told his disciples what was to come, that he would be murdered by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and then three days later would raise again. That's where he began to teach them these things. And so after the crucifixion, as they scatter, as they deny, they evidence that they weren't listening, that they had forgotten, that it was lost on them. Now, after rebuking Peter for saying, oh no, comma, Lord, ironically, this will never happen to you. Jesus tells them, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the concerns of men, human concerns. And now he tells them that they must do exactly what he's going to do. When he tells them that he must die, he tells them to die in essence, to tell them that they must take up their cross. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Peter was being emotionally selfish in that moment, but we must deny ourselves if we follow Jesus. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The cross was a Roman instrument of death. To say, take up your cross, is grotesquely offensive if used from human to human in conversation. It's like, take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up your lethal injection needle. This is how you follow me. Take up your cross. For if it, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Have you been living on your own terms? I'll bet it's not working out for you. And if it feels like it is now, just wait until you're in judgment before God. If you want to save your life, you must lose it and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Pop culture psychologists are effectively saying this now, even divorced from the gospel, you see echoes of the truth in it. That when we lead our lives, for our own sakes, in pursuit of our own pleasures, in pursuit of our own lone causes, we're going to be ultimately unfulfilled. A life of hedonism, for example, devoted exclusively to just experiencing as much pleasure as you possibly can is going to leave you jaded. It's going to leave you having glutted yourself on what turns out to be emptiness. 
Just ask Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes. He did it, and he found that everything, everything, everything in this world under the sun, it's all meaningless. The only thing that has any meaning is what is beyond the sun. None of this stuff ultimately matters, okay? Your short-term pleasure, it's ultimately meaningless. Your worldly endeavors, your pursuit of popularity, of social acceptance, of worldly wealth, it doesn't mean a hill of beans, ultimately. Deny all of that. If you want to actually have life, lead a life that is devoted to Christ. That, counterintuitive as it may seem, is how you experience the life that is truly life. Your life then is more than your next fix. Your life is more than likes on your Twitter profile and your Facebook and your Instagram and TikTok and whatever is next, Bleeble Blorp. Like it's, it's more than all of that. Your life is infinitely more when you lead a life that is self-sacrificial, doing what Christ both told us to do and showed us how to do. Right on the heels of prophesying that he would go to the cross and resurrect, he tells his disciples to take up their crosses. If you're going to follow me, you got to know I'm going to the cross and so are you. So, so to follow Jesus is to give up our lives. We spoke in yesterday's devotion or, or in Saturday's devotion about the irony of Peter's words, no Lord. Look, if he's Lord in your life, you're going to follow him, and in following him, you also go to your own cross. Now, you and I could never do what Jesus did. That would be to bring Christ down. Rather, we, living like our Lords, go to the crosses. We give up our lives. The ultimate axiom of masculinity is self-sacrifice because that's what Christ did, and that's how husbands are called to love their wives. But men and women alike, married and unmarried alike, are all called to take up our crosses. This is Christ-likeness, self-sacrifice, not self-aggrandizement or self-importance. Each of us is to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Moreover, we take up our crosses, we lay down our lives, we deny ourselves, and we follow Jesus. For whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. You're going to learn in the end, bub, that everything you've done to try to build up your own castle is going to prove fruitless, void of meaning, utterly unfulfilling, ironically, as hard as you've worked. All right, we've seen this. Just 20 to 25 minutes from where I'm currently filming, two of the richest men in the world live and both recently went through traumatic life experiences in their family lives that proved, man, what was happening behind the scenes was not fulfilling. It was not good. All the wealth in the world will not buy you happiness. It will not buy you purpose or fulfillment or meaning. All the money in the world will not help your marriage get better. All right, by all means, get out of debt, be able to pay your bills. That certainly takes a few arguments out of the marriage. But ultimately, if you're going to see your personal life, your heart, your soul, your family, your marriage, your kids, the best thing you can do for all of them is to dedicate your life to Christ. And I'm looking at you, husbands. I'm looking at you, dad. It starts with us. We are the spiritual thermostats in our home. And your kids are not likely to love God more than you do at this current age if they're young. You are the one who can set the ceiling, so make it high. Make it an atrium. Put in a skylight. Set the tone for your home, leading not 
a life that is based on your own carnal desires and interests, that's walking in step with the flesh. The mindset of the flesh is death, but keeping in step with the Spirit of God. Whoever wants to live his, save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. There's nothing more fulfilling than an entire lifetime that is dedicated toward what lasts forever after this life is over. No matter how long this life is, it cannot ever equate to a meaningful fraction of eternity. That is where we live forever, where Jesus does say something about that life. He says that he will, he, the Son of Man, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Now, because I know that I have sin in my life, that scares me, but because I have Christ in my life, that relieves me, but because I know that I've dedicated my life to planting a church and to pastoring a church and to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach as many people for Christ as I can before I die, that excites me and it validates everything about a life that is devoted exclusively to the gospel. Even ways in which we forsake this life, that aspect of our life which is devoted holistically to the gospel of Jesus Christ will be rewarded, okay? The gospel is not a meritocracy, but the rewards of heaven are proportionate. If you're there in a shack, you're just happy to be there. If you're one who has been saved as though just from the flames, see the writings of Paul, you're not gonna have covetousness in heaven, but you will be eternally rewarded for what you have done in your life, self-sacrificially taking up your cross, denying yourself and living for Jesus. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? You gain the whole world. Guess what? This book at the end, everything that we've seen fulfilled in here, there's more in this book. There's also a prophecy about how all this is gonna be destroyed in fire. Congrats. Now it's all gonna burn up. If your whole life is dedicated toward what is going to be ultimately consumed with fire and then made new again, you have put an expiration date on your legacy and your success and the very meaningfulness of your life. John the Baptist was despised by everybody, it seemed, and yet he is considered the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. His whole life was devoted to what's on the other side of death. What will it benefit you if you gain the whole world, but you, yet you lose your life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The things that you gather around yourself, that you assimilate around yourself, just look to the testimonies of those who have gained the whole world and yet forfeited their souls, as some translations render it. Howard Hughes, richest man in the world, said he would give it all away for just one true friend. His whole life was dedicated to the assimilation, the accumulation of stuff that was subject to decay. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and 6, we saw this, that what we see is passing away even as we see it. What is unseen, however, is eternal. So we focus on what is unseen. Don't dedicate your whole life to stuff that is expiring and sin-stained. Instead, sacrifice this life. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Dedicate your very existence, all of your time, your talents, your treasures, your family, your marriage, your schedule, your plans, all of it at following Jesus. And then you take hold of a life that the billionaires covet. 
because it has eternal meaning and you are rewarded forever because of it. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Huge eschatological implications to this word. The word eschatological meaning the study of the end times, the eschaton, the second coming of Christ. Now, this is profound, too, because it would say, hang on a second, Jesse, that seems to indicate that we missed the boat because the disciples are all dead. The disciples will also witness the transfiguration of Jesus. The disciples would also live to see other stuff happen in the year AD 70. We'll talk more about this in the devotions to come, but we know that Jesus has told us exactly what it is to follow Him. It's to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to live for Him instead of for ourselves. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here, so he's speaking, that includes Judas, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. They will also be present in Acts chapter 1 to watch Jesus enter the kingdom of heaven, ascending out of their view. Now, we'll talk more about uh, exactly what it means that they wouldn't taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. But for now, I want to focus on verses 24 through 27 because that that tends to hit us right between the eyes. Would you go before the Lord? Would you confess and surrender the aspects of your life that have been built up just around yourself, whereupon you have not taken to the cross everything in your life, right? Your internet activity, your finances, your business practices, the way you talk to your mother, the way that you treat your children, the way you conduct yourself at given times. If there are areas of your life, your schedule, your finances, your heart, your emotions that you have not surrendered to the Lord, would you go before Him in holistic surrender right now? Would you confess to God ways in which you have been trying to build up a kingdom for yourself this side of heaven? And would you surrender absolutely? Would you take up your cross and follow Jesus?